Okay, I just, I love it. So, you know, we're all about connecting and really knowing each other. And um, so, you know, Father uses every part of our story to bring us to where we are today. And so we just want to say that there's nothing wasted in any of our journeys and there's no accident in any of our journeys. So Father has taken us through significant preparation in order to have our hearts ready to lead here. Um, and so it's been quite a story, um, but we're so thankful. We're so thankful and we're still learning and growing and I feel like, you know, the theme for me is just living in supernatural rest. That whole thing of um, come to me and he invites us, my yoke is easy, and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And just learning to walk and be so much more. Um, but, you know, that takes a lot of heart healing and, um, you know, our... Church family has been going through some training in, in, in um, for tools to help us get our hearts healed up, to become more free, to become more whole. And um, some of us had the opportunity to go away and be in the mountains. And during that time, we all had some prayer. And um, so for some me, prayer. some prayer like <laughs> took the whole evening for each person. But you know, for me, it was so significant because Father's been doing things and he's been showing me things that have been healing things in my heart, just um, taking me back to things that happened before, um, but show me where he was. And so he took me back to some of those places and he showed me even more incredibly what he was doing. And um, it's quite interesting. Mark, I didn't realize that it was so obvious, but I used to sleep with my hand across my mouth. And um, I hadn't realized what a pattern that was. But after we prayed, I've stopped doing that. And that's amazing, isn't it? That's, I mean, I don't know. I, I think part of it is just the whole freedom thing and that I have a voice. Mm. And um, so it's just significant, very practical. Yeah. So we're still learning. And, um, and I believe that this summer for all of us is a time of rest and preparation and really going deep and just being because I feel like he's got so much for us and he wants us to be in rest to do all that he's got for us. There's no point in being agitated and anxious because we won't be hearing him. We won't be able to tune in and be tuned to him. And I believe that's what he's doing. He's tuning our hearts to him. He's tuning our ears to him so that we really can walk with him in these, in these times so that we can be, you know, in the schools, we can be there you know, to be like I teach as well. So, you know, to be able to speak the word that somebody needs to hear, you know, and um, in, in your workplace. So. So as we tell the story, you'll get a little bit of a feel for why our church family is rather different from maybe any other church you've experienced. And that's intentional. Um, and somewhat accidental but intentional. It's, it's the outcome of what Jane's been talking about, the journey that she and I have been on, but also the journey that many of you have been on. And so you'll hear 
reflections, I think, that resonate with you as we go through. And then when we get to the end, we'll throw it open if anybody's got any questions. I can't remember which of the social medias it is that does an Ask Me Anything, but this is our Ask Me Anything. Uh, so, uh, But wait till the end. Okay. <laughs> so uh, if we go right back to the beginning, Jane's always been a good girl. She grew up in a Christian home, went to church every Sunday. Um, Mark, not so much. Um, but I got saved when I was in university, and I'd had a supernatural experience of God a few years previously when my grandmother passed away, and God filled me with peace because she was a believer, but I didn't realize that as a child, uh, but he'd filled me with this supernatural peace, and I knew God was there for me. That's why we place so much emphasis on us experiencing God's presence in our daily lives and when we gather like this. So I got saved at university because I was asked, did I know God? And I said, yes, of course I do, because I'd met him, you know, five years earlier or whatever. Um, but that's where I found the life that we love to share. Um, and so for both of us, the principle of putting God first and, and always prioritizing what God wants has always been the foundation for each of us individually and of our relationships. So... Um, I trained for ministry at a, a radical church in southeast London after I graduated from university. And then at the end of that year of training, I knew at that time that God did not want me to be a church planter. Now, that's kind of hilarious when you look back to recent history, but that's fine. <laughs> and so I didn't really know what God would want me to do. But he f very clearly showed me that if I was to put him first, I needed to stay there at that church. And so I did which was a great mystery to my family. They thought I was throwing away my education, that I joined a cult, all this kind of stuff. But because God had shown me, I put his plans and his priorities first. And then God was really working in Jane's heart through that time to put him first. And she was in a setting after university where it was difficult to do that and to invite other people. Do you want to say a little bit about how you moved to London? Yeah, I, after university which is where I had really grown in my faith and got baptized as a believer. And I was like, this is amazing, you know? And um, and um, I went back home and it was almost like, well, I see it as being, um, my roots had grown, but now they got pushed back into a smaller pot. So I felt like I my root system had grown and established more, but then I didn't really know how to fit back in this small pot. And it was it was sort of, making me cry because it wasn't just my family it was in the I would go to church and cry and so um, that's not a good thing to go to church and cry and so <coughs> but anyway I just said God I want to be able to go to a church where I can take my friends and I had heard of this great church in London where um, I was later to meet Mark and so it was just that verse seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be added to you so I was now commuting from home to some training in London to do uh, music therapy and um, I needed somewhere to live. This is all practical stuff and so when you have practical stuff you just say okay I want the church first and you know, I want what God wants first and then all these things just miraculously everything lined up and um, and then I very quickly met Mark but he didn't realize. <laughs> That's another story. Let me give you the Reader's Digest version. Uh, throughout my time in London, God had really emphasized to me he wanted me to be single. Now, I knew that wasn't a permanent thing, but it was just focus on him, put him first, like I just said. 
Um, but then suddenly that changed. And God spoke to me one, one time uh, in, at the end of a, a conference uh, in a very powerful time of worship. He spoke to me and he said, you're the marrying kind and you're going to meet someone you've never met before and it's going to be in a year's time. Now, unfortunately, I was so dysfunctional, I opened up my little mini daytimer thing that I carried and I wrote it on next year's to-do list. <laughs> Find wife. But it landed in my heart and I wrote it down and then I forgot about it. Now, my roommate, uh, it was actually his apartment, not mine, but I, so I was his roommate, but he was getting married. And so he and his fiancée could see this problem on the horizon. They were going to get married and Mark was still living in their house. And so they decided to do something about that. And they'd met this sweet young lady who joined a neighboring congregation in our church family who was doing the same things as they were, music, worship, kids' work, that kind of stuff. And they invited her for dinner. And the rest is pretty much history. Um, Pete asked me to take Jane home at the end of the evening because he was taking Sue, his fiance, home. And uh, I thought, wow, this is amazing. I never thought I'd find someone I could look her in the eye because all of the other potentials were all kind of, you know. But <laughs> and not that there were any potentials, but there we go. <laughs> but this was just amazing to meet this amazing young lady who you could just sing her a song and she could write it down. You could, you know, all of that amazing talent. And she was beautiful too. And so anyway, we started dating. I asked her out on our first date. That was another, we won't tell that story on the, on the live feed, but if you want to ask us the story of our first date later, we'll do that. <laughs> it's hilarious. So anyway, six weeks later, we got engaged, and then we're sitting in a tea room uh, in, in Canterbury in Kent, beautiful city. And uh, we're saying, well, we better set a date for the wedding. And so we talked through. I already, because I worked for the church, my next summer was already planned out in that little daytimer. And so there was a problem. If we wanted a summer wedding, we had to either do it before all of that stuff or at the end. And I'm like, well, at the end's going to suck because it'll <laughs> be the final straw that broke the camel's back. You don't want to do that. So we set a date that's enough time to have a honeymoon and get back to work for the first of the big things that were happening. And as we set that date, I realized it was a year to the day from the prophetic word that God had given me that I'd written down and forgotten about because Jehovah Sneaky knows what he's doing. And so we just recently celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. And uh, the, the lady who took the wedding had actually confirmed the prophetic word to me. After God spoke to me, one of our leaders came over and she said, I think I've got a word for you. Uh, and she repeated word for word what God had said. And so she did our wedding for us. She performed the ceremony. And uh, so uh, she said at the end, you know, that final bit that the preacher says at the end, she said, those whom God has joined together, let no principality, power or person ever separate. And 35 years later, it's still working, which is good. So fast forward a little, though. God really put on our hearts as we were working there in the church in London to care for the carers. And he opened the door for us a few years later to move to a Christian conference center where leaders would come and churches would come. And particularly, Jane was running the prayer center there where individuals could come and spend time just quietly with God. And so it was a really great opportunity straight away to begin to care for the carers, wasn't it? And so we were working in this beautiful Christian conference center. Uh, that's where, over the time, God gave us our three kids, our three sons. And uh, we enjoyed that time tremendously. But the problem with it was I had no revelation of sonship. I didn't know my identity as a son of God. 
And so as often you'll find, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you'll know the temptation to think you have to prove yourself by what you do. And that was me all over, <laughs> I'm afraid. Um, and so my dear wife, I realized with hindsight, was actually already in depression by the time we left that place. But the main symptom was that there was a conflict with the boss because when you're having to prove everything, you can't submit to authority. And so I had a conflict with the boss and he couldn't fire me because we didn't have that. In the UK, the, the rules and regulations are a little different than here in South Carolina. You know, Here in South Carolina, if you don't like me, you can fire me. But that's not the case in the UK. But he basically replaced me without firing me. So he called it strengthening the senior team and hired somebody else to do my job and had me train him. That'll squeeze you if that happens. And when you get squeezed, you find out what you're full of. And I did. And of course, once you've been squeezed, it doesn't go back in the tube. So we go to Roger and Sue, the couple that had uh, married us and who'd had the prophetic word for us and had been mentors to us all through this time. And they said, well, maybe God is telling you to move. And if you do decide to move, let us know because major international ministries have been asking about you. Do you want to tell the next bit of the story? Well, that was hard to believe because at that point that, you know, when you feel like you're failing in a, in a situation, that was, it was amazing. Um, we didn't just feel like we were failing, we knew we were failing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I had a lot of things like ungodly beliefs, like things that I believed, and I wasn't very good at making decisions, but somehow I knew we were going to go to Canada. I knew we were going to move. <coughs> so um, we ended up moving to Toronto, and literally when we arrived, <coughs> there's a lot of story there, but we arrived with our three little ones, nearly two, nearly four, and nearly six, and um, just saw God's love, saw God's heart in action in people's lives and people came they were hungry they were thirsty and it became a place like a, we sang earlier um, it was a well for people to come and and many who were on the last brink and last hope of all sorts of situations you know pastors ministers missionaries husbands and wives spouses just at the last straw and they would come and they would literally realize that their lives were just being unpacked and taken apart by the love of God and so for us, that time in Toronto was a taking apart of our hearts and just putting them back together. Now, each each of those journeys is unique. So Mark's journey was very different from mine. Um, but I know that through that time, um, I just knew I was desperate for what I saw. So sometimes he just shows us that there's more. And then, he, then we have to get desperate enough to want it. And so um, it has to hurt enough before we say, do it, Lord, whatever it takes. Because sometimes it is painful. And um, and so, you know, I have one very treasured time that, you know, I was very desperate. I was desperate to receive God's love, but I actually wasn't able to because I had so many blockages and boundaries and walls around my heart. And, um, and so at the end of any time of receiving from God, I was still empty. And so, you know, you can try harder or you can try less or you can... What else do you do? There's nothing because there's a legal right that the enemy has. But anyway, my amazing leaders um, invited me to a meeting and um, I was thinking, oh good, they're going to pray for me. 
well. It was really to ask, you know, a little deeper into my heart. And they actually um, had arranged for me to go and see. They actually said, Jane, you're needy. And it was through that meeting, I knew it was like a surgeon's cut that was exactly the right thing. I That took a lot of like confidence in hearing the Father's voice, but I was so, my life changed and pivoted on that time. They said, Jane, you're, you're needy, and what you're trying to do is get from people what only God can give. And because I couldn't receive at that point, I was in a, a, a no-win situation. But they had actually set up for um, Mark and me and all the other leaders there to receive some ministry. But in the meantime, they had me go to visit a doctor who specialized in chemical imbalances. And um, through that time, I was able to start on some medication. And that actually was life-changing because I could actually start to receive. And then we dealt with a lot of the lies I was believing, and then I could receive truth. And so I knew straight away that God was doing something so big something so big that was changing my whole system because my body was basically believing something here but my heart was telling me something else and so that's why my body was just in depression and not sure what to do but once I started to as um, Robert said align with God's heart when our belief system in our hearts not just in our heads aligns with God's truth then we are in peace then we have freedom Another part of that story is that the people around you um, have an impact. You know, I said earlier that one of the main reasons Jane was in depression was because I had no revelation of sonship. <laughs> I was living for what I could prove. <laughs> I was constantly striving uh, rather than living in rest. And so I'm sure that contributed. And of course, part of her story of how God was able to set her free from that was that I had changed because God had changed me. Our first encounter with Toronto, when we went for the original interview to see should we come and join their staff, was a conference in, uh, what is it, November of 97, I guess, um, the Father Loves You conference. And, you know, the two ways to go swimming at the state park, you, know, you can wade in slowly. That's what Jane did over the five years we were there. She waded in and just kept wading in deeper. Or God can push you off the end of the pier. And that's pretty much what he did to me. And uh, so right from the very beginning, I had this deep revelation that I was loved despite me. And that was beautiful. It was amazing. And that whole revelation really became foundational to who we've become. That the Father loves you just as you are, and he loves you too much to leave you as you are. He's got a plan. He's got a destiny. He wants you to fulfill that destiny, and he's all about releasing you into that destiny. And so we were there for five years on staff. We did all kinds of amazing stuff. The last, uh, well, the, the middle year and a half or so, we were um, associate pastors, pastoring one of the three areas. And then after that, we did a rearrangement, and I became what they called the revival director. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's really the revival director, but I was the, the leader of the department that tried to keep up with him. And so we ran all the conferences, uh, we ran all the nightly meetings, we ran all the visitor stuff, basically, and it was an amazing time. 
and all kinds of experiences through that of seeing God at work, seeing what God wanted to do in different people's lives, and learning to be pushed in at the deep end. You know, I've told you some of the stories of how John trained me uh, for ministry. Yeah, I've had training for ministry in how to really strive to make it work, which is what we've done in England. Uh, but now I had a great deal of training in how to be pushed in the deep end and find that God will let you walk on water. And uh, that's a totally different way of learning, but it takes you deeper into him. I was just going to say that the very first time that you got to lead a meeting. Yeah, we'd, I'd been ordained, I think, at that point about three weeks um, because that was part of the process as well. When I was first saved, there were four things God would never want me to do, which was to uh, live in London, do a desk job, go abroad, and be ordained. Those are the four things I was totally convinced God would never want me to do. I've done all of them. Um, and the fourth one was to be in Toronto and needing to be ordained to stay there, which John was very happy to do because he saw the call of God on our lives. But anyway, I'd been ordained about three weeks, and they scheduled me to be the MC for the healing meeting on Sunday evening. John Arnott was to be the speaker. Uh, Jeremy Sinnott, for those of you who know some of the worship folks up there, Jeremy was leading worship. He'd been leading worship since the beginning of the revival. And this was my very first time standing on that big platform in front of all these people. And I was as nervous as all get out. But I'd got, my, I'd got a couple of testimonies that I was going to call for people to share what God had done in their lives. And I'd figured out how I was going to preach the offering and the three or four things I had to announce. And then I was going to introduce John and get out of the way. And uh, Jeremy's just leading the final chorus of the final song, and I'm just gathering all my papers, and I pick up the microphone and trying to stop my knees knocking together. And John just strolled over to me, just sort of like, you know, it was a, a normal day, which it was for him. He took the microphone out of my hand, and he said, we need some words of knowledge, Mark. Get some. And then he walked up on the platform, and he said, Mark's got some words of knowledge. And sure enough, Mark did have some words of knowledge because Jehovah Sneaky doesn't let us sink when we think we're drowning. And that was my lesson, my first lesson of many, in how to actually value what God is doing more than what I've planned. How to trust God even when you don't know what you're doing. Which is why sometimes around here it looks like we don't know what we're doing. It's because we're simply saying, okay, Father, what are you doing now? And can we join in? Now, there is plenty of structure, and that's important too. You know, you have structure in your body. It's called your skeleton, just that it shouldn't really be visible because if your skeleton's visible, there's a problem. <laughs> that's why we want to be the kind of church where the structure is not visible. The life is what's visible. So five years later, God began to move us out of Toronto because we'd got to know a guy called uh, Jack Frost, who some of you know. And uh, Jack and his wife, Tricia, led a ministry here in Conway, South Carolina, called Shiloh Place Ministries, a lot of which had grown out of the revelation of the Father that they'd received by going to the, the conferences in Toronto. And so um, Jack and Tricia invited us down here for a vacation uh, back in, I suppose, July of 2002. We just both of us completed the leaders' school in Toronto, Jane in the January, me in the July, and we both had the same prophetic word during that school. So there were a couple came and taught on how to receive prophetic words and how to give prophetic words to other people. And then they would prophesy over all the students. And the word that we both received, among other things, was that we're releasers of destiny. 
And that struck both of us very deeply because it really summarized what God had put in our hearts. And so when we came on vacation, again, Jehovah Sneaky surprised us by us being invited with John's permission to come and move down here to Conway to join Shiloh Place Ministries where we could see we could be much greater releases of destiny into the lives of leaders by ministering to them um, much more uh, one-to-one than we could do in the big conferences in Toronto. Uh, In the interesting timing of it, shortly after we moved down here, the SARS pandemic hit the world. Toronto was one of the epicenters, and that was basically the end of the regular conferences and the end of the nightly meetings for a season. And so I think God knew what he was doing. Because uh, if we'd stayed there, I wouldn't have had a job. <laughs> anyway, we moved down here to to join Shiloh Place, to lead the ministry team, to to start leaders' schools. Uh, I did a lot of traveling. Most of our funny stories from that season start with Mark was away one weekend and dot, 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 <laughs> where Jane and the boys would get up to all kinds of fun stuff. Um, but we enjoyed that tremendously, being able to give away what God had put into us. Was that a mm-hmm where I, no, okay, it wasn't a mm-hmm where I hand you the microphone, okay. <laughs> and so that season of our lives was very fruitful. We still hear today from folks whose lives were deeply touched by what we were able to do with the schools and by doing weekends in different churches. Let me tell you one story from that. Um, I went to a, a church in, where is it, Connecticut, um, and uh, a Baptist church, formerly a Baptist church, I think they'd left the, the Baptist hierarchy by that point, um, but they wanted to do a Father's Love weekend, and they had a big recovery program, and all of the folks in the recovery program were encouraged to attend this weekend, and there was one particular young lady who really stood out to me through the weekend, uh, because she would only she would come right in at the back, she'd come in after the meeting started, she'd stand right by the back wall, she was definitely somebody who was beginning to be in recovery. And that was as far as she came. She never came for any of the prayer times, but she just stood and listened. And then on Sunday morning, I suddenly noticed at the end of the second service, as we were about to leave for the airport for me to fly home, she was halfway down the aisle. This was an old Baptist church with the pews. She was halfway down the aisle, in, in sitting in one of the pews, head bowed. And her friend came and said, I've got her halfway. Would you come and pray with her? And so I said, of course. But the people who were going to take me to the airport said, we have to be really quick. So I literally just just lifted her head a little, looked her in the eye, and just said, I want you to know that God sees you and God loves you. And I just prayed a simple little blessing over her, and I, and I left for the airport. Jane and I went back, I guess, about nine months later to do a second weekend for them. They'd built a bigger uh, meeting space by this point. And um, as is common with churches, indeed even our church, apart from Jan over here, nobody's sitting in the front row. And so at the beginning of the first session, I decided I would compliment the one young lady who was sitting in the front row. I actually gave her a CD or a book or something just to say thank you for sitting in the front row because it's great when people do that. Uh, And she came up to me at the end. She said, you don't recognize me, do you? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I meet thousands of people. Forgive me, I don't recognize you. She said, I was the one you prayed for when you left. And she was totally transformed. Now, it wasn't my prayer, because my prayer was only about 30 seconds long. It was the Father's love that touched her life. All kinds of stories like that. So, the sad part to that story is that God took Jack Frost home a lot sooner than we would have liked. (laughs) 
Um, and he passed away in what March of 2007, I think. Um, so you know, we'd been around, I suppose, about four and a half years at that point. We stayed with Shiloh Place for two and a half more years to let Tricia find her feet. Then we stepped out of the way so she could continue to lead the ministry into the direction that she wanted. And so we left there in January of 2009. And uh, we then went on staff with the church we'd been attending all those years, those seven years we'd been here. And uh, I was the executive pastor, I was also uh, the executive director of the Minister's Fellowship that oversaw all of the churches that were in relationship with that church and learned a great deal through that time as well. But the setting of that, that um, scenario, if you like, was very different from the revival and Father's Love environment that we learned to call home. And so... At the end of about eight years altogether, I guess it was, God simply said to us, you're done now with this assignment. He said it very clearly, and uh, with Philip, the senior pastor's blessing, we then left, um, not really knowing exactly what God wanted us to do, but right at that point of about to leave, uh, we went to, uh, we said, both of us said, we want to get back into close fellowship with Catch the Fire because that had dwindled somewhat over the years just because of the circumstances of our time. And so when God told us you're done, we said we want to be back with Catch the Fire. Whatever God wants us to do next, it has to be with Catch the Fire. And uh, so we went to a, a conference in Virginia Beach, didn't we? And uh, um, the interesting thing was that was a conference that I had started when I was the revival director. It was our first U.S. conference, and it happened every year. And uh, so we went to the conference in Virginia Beach and met with our friend Duncan, who's actually the president of Catch the Fire World now, and uh, said, God has released us now from the, the ministry we had been doing, and uh, we want to be back with Catch the Fire. And some of you know Duncan. He did a sort of Duncan moment in the middle of the supporters' lunch that we were in, and everybody turned to look. <laughs> what is this English guy shouting his head off for? But uh, he said, we would love to have you back with Catch the Fire. Pick anywhere you want in the U.S., apart from Raleigh and Dallas, which were the two places that were already catch-the-fire churches in the U.S. at that time. And uh, Jane said... What about Myrtle Beach? And Duncan thought for a second, and he said, Yeah, it'd be so different from anything else in Myrtle Beach. In fact, it would be a sin not to. And so in the space of about 30 seconds... Catch the Fire Myrtle Beach was born. And uh, what I was just thinking through that as, as I was listening to Mark is that, you know, God puts dreams on our hearts. Yeah. And, and I know that I've seen him answer so many of my dreams and hopes. And I've, I believe he puts those there. You know, he's designed us. He knows what, what we are created for. But, you know, you know, when you said, you know, we would love to be back with Catch the Fire because it felt like home in our hearts um, but he hears he knows our hearts and um, doesn't yes yeah, so it's a unique thing but he he hears our dreams he knows our hearts one of the things that was our dream that we'd not been able to express just because of the circumstances of the ministries we'd been part of was that we do this together so when we sat in the next afternoon session of the conference after we'd met with Duncan Jane turned to me and she said God bless this new catch the fire pastor and I said, yes, and her husband. Because it was important that she hear that. 
we are one. And so we are the leader of this church. And you all know that, but it's worth stating again for the recording. So we went back to Toronto to do the leader's school again, which was wonderful. We were very enthusiastic about doing that again, which was great. And then we had a, a meeting in our home when we got home. I guess the end of July of 2017, I think, wasn't it? Robert and Jamie were there. I think, Sherry, you were there. Um, maybe one or two others were, were with us at that point. And uh, we had our first public meeting at uh, Easter 2018. And uh, that was when we moved into the restaurant uh, at Original Benjamin's Calabash Seafood. Uh, Jane had taught the owner's kids piano at one point, or music garden lessons or something. And so they said we could use the restaurant for free on Sunday mornings because they weren't open. So we met in Benjamin's for, gosh, a long time, two years. And uh, so it was a wonderful uh, time. Uh, but in the end, the the smell of seafood kind of you know and the, the moving of chairs and sherry did a great job cleaning that place back back then uh, but <laughs> uh, we've been asking god to give us a building and uh, we had a number of disappointments along the way things that didn't work out and jane felt very strongly that every time something didn't work out it was like a contraction in a pregnancy and then we agreed as a lead team that this was the final contraction when the last building fell through uh, we reached up into heaven and said, God, we pull down the building you have for us. And the very next morning, I had a call from a realtor that I'd emailed just a day or two before. Um, I'd been asking about an old church building down in Myrtle Beach to see if it was for rent. It had been for sale. And I saw it was off the market. Um, and he called me back and he said, no, it's, it's, you wouldn't want that. <laughs> he didn't say why, but he said, no, you wouldn't want that. And it's now apartments, they demolished the place. But uh, he said, but something just came in this morning that might just be of interest to you. This was nine o'clock on Monday morning after we'd prayed at like eight o'clock Sunday night as a team. And this building was just about to come onto the market. He said, it's not even listed yet. So by 11 o'clock, we were looking at it. And by two o'clock in the afternoon, we'd signed a letter of intent. The Brazilian church that met in here actually had to move out a week or two earlier than they'd planned to because we asked, could we have it before Christmas? And so we had our first meeting in here uh, the Sunday before Christmas in December 2019. And, uh, and we've grown from there. So we've... I was thinking this morning, it's seven years ago, coming up in July, you know, and... Um, I feel like he's got a story of faith in our hearts. And, you know, how many times did they walk around the city of Jericho? Yeah. And I feel like there's something very significant about this time as we approach the summer that we have gone round, you know, and I feel like there's something about some victories that we're going to see. You know, it's all been faith all the way along. Every step has been a faith step. Yeah but there's something going to be very visible coming. Totally. And I, I think most of you know Jane and I now lead the East Coast cluster for Catch the Fire, all the other Catch the Fire churches. We've actually had a bunch of them came here to this building for a, a cluster gathering, and that's a great honor as well. Um, but I think what we're doing here is a very much a prophetic declaration and symbol to others of what God wants to do in this post-pandemic era. Uh, that we're a family. Uh, there's, there's, uh, we're a family church, not a factory church. And that's one of our key foundational values. Uh, 
And the second foundational value would be that we believe in the uniqueness of each individual God brings to us. We want to develop that uniqueness. We want to see uh, each person know that they're loved by God, but they're also loved by all of us as a church family. We want to be releasers of destiny for each of our folks. We want you to fulfill your destiny. And uh, that's why freedom and wholeness is so important, because this journey that we've kind of, we've given you just the headlines, but there have been so many more healing moments along the way in order for us to become who we are. And I know some of you are going through stuff right now that's hard and tough. And I want to tell you this, God knows what you're going through and he will use what you're going through to bring you into a whole new level of freedom and wholeness. Just need to let him do that and see what he wants to do through the folks he's gathered around you as well. And so uh, I guess our, bo- our most foundational value is we value God's presence above everything. We want him to be present to each of us when we gather. And as Jane's already said, we feel like this summer is a really important season, a really important time. And I think that, yes, freedom and wholeness is going to be a key part of that. Uh, those of you who've been training with us for that team, you're practicing on each other, but pretty soon we're going to start saying, okay, who else would like to taste some of this ministry and, and receive more freedom and wholeness? We also want to be sure that we all have fun together. We always do have fun when we gather, but we want to encourage you to make time for fun this summer and to have uh, rest and relaxation. Um, just to let you know, Jane and I are actually going to a Father Heart retreat starting uh, next Sunday afternoon. We'll, we'll be here next Sunday morning. But then we're heading off for two weeks to a Father Heart retreat uh, for us to rest, but also to receive uh, some more revelation to bring back and share. And then we'll have some family time on the end of that because we'll be close to Timothy and Madeline, our middle son. And uh, so we'll see them for a little while too. Uh, then late July, we've got a trip to Florida to see the two Catch the Fire Florida churches. We'll be missing a Sunday in end of July too. All of it's covered with other folks to take care of things, but just so you know. But the, the, the label we want to really kind of place on this summer, and want to just kind of share it with you, all of you now to commission you to do this, because we're going to wrap it up here. But we want to have intentional community. I want each of you to embrace intention around community. Who can I connect with on a deeper level? What can I do? You know, it doesn't have to be clever. <laughs> it doesn't have to be expensive. It certainly doesn't have to take forever. But pick a few folks and say, you know what? I'm really going to make sure I connect more with them. We're going to just get together and have coffee or we'll get breakfast together or go somewhere together after church. And some of you already do this. But we want it to be intentional. We want to see little groups of connections really begin to form through the summer because we know God is about to increase our influence and he's going to bring more people in and they'll need to have those nuclei to connect to. Because if you just come on a Sunday, that doesn't cut it. It doesn't actually touch your heart at the level it needs to because all you've been doing is sitting listening to us. So we're going to stop that in just a second so we can talk to each other. But first of all, I'm going to ask Jane, tell us what's important to you. God. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I feel like this is such a treasured time of being at peace and at rest with him, trusting and knowing that my identity is in him so much more than ever before. Um, just discovering just even the beauty of music, that I get to enjoy something that I really have a passion for and that that will take me to places um, that will release Holy Spirit. So definitely a lot more of that. Um, so yeah, it's it's almost like when I play, it's like this, it gives a boundary for just to be with him. And so I I want to see, there are lots of things he's spoken to me about and I, I want to do them this summer. And what's important to me, if I was to summarize it in one sentence, I want to invest myself in those who want my investment. And that's my, yeah, I know about you. I'm already investing in you, but that's good because it pays off, right? I see fruit again and again, not just in the ones I invest in, but in me too. You know, Roger and I have been meeting regularly for months now, but I grow and he benefits too. And I want to invest myself in those who want my investment. Now Jane and I often look like we're busy, but actually it's only because we fill our time with things that are important to us. And so I don't want any of you to hold back from asking for our time. If you want it, you can have it. If you don't want it, we'll find something else to do with it. But you get first priority. I want to invest myself in those who want my investment. So that's something of the journey. I believe this room is full of leaders too. And it's time for you to, it's like we have been on this journey together and I feel like it's a time that you're stepping up in your leadership. And I, I know it's ringing true in, in your hearts as I say that. So this is a time for you. It's, it's not a heavy, it's a joy, it's a fulfillment of what he's been doing. And you're not doing it alone, you're doing it together with others. But you're gonna see your own um, leadership opportunities and um, I, I do see that um, as we go through this summer, I feel like we are going to, as a, as, a, as a church family, we're going to be seeing others come and we will be, it's almost like being a married couple then having children. So we have been like a, had all the, the ease of just being a, a couple and now, I mean as a church family, but then we're going to have new ones coming in and as a, as a married couple suddenly has to, okay, we have to have a date night, we have to be intentional and so that was that whole intentionality. It's like, how can we look, look out for each other because we're going to be um, parenting, we're going to be mothers and fathers and that's who you are, you're mothers and fathers with hearts for, you know, the schools, you know, our workplaces, um, our homes and our families.